Truth News Network. There was a t-shirt years ago emblazoned with big letters. Everything I've learned, I learned from Star Trek. Do you have any idea how true that really is and how scary that makes our media today? Well, I'm just going to say this. If you have to learn something today, it may as well be the truth. And this is TNN, the Truth News Network. And with class in session, here's Professor Dan Newman. I got it all. I got the news. I got the information. I have the facts. I have all the things you need to know about and you want to know about. And we're going to dig in. A special edition of our Tuesday show. Steve Baker joins us during our first hour today. In just a matter of minutes, he'll be up from Washington with some big news and information, as he always brings to us. So, grab that third cup of coffee. Just settle back. We'll get into it right after the big yellow taxi. paradise and put up a parking lot With a pink hotel, a boutique, and a swinging hot spot Don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you got till it's gone It'd be a paradise and put up a fucking line They took all the trees and put them in a tree museum And charged the people a dollar and a half to see them No, 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 don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you got till it's gone It'd be a paradise and put up a fucking line
smooth the songs came out in the 80s, 90s. I don't even remember. Melanie Sofka wrote that song many years ago, but uh, Counting Crows made it a big hit. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live and our big guy up in Washington, D.C. Steve Baker is with us this morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Dan. I'm good. How are you doing? Well, I'm just peachy keen. How about that? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, you're, you're obviously not in the studio. We're, we're used, no. we're accustomed to your golden deep voice when you're in your studio, but, uh, you're on the road. You got a lot to tell us about. I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually sitting in my car right now. I have a, a very important appointment here at the top of the hour and or the next hour. And so I, uh, deliberately got up early and drove where I needed to be. And I'm sitting in a parking lot in the outskirts of DC right now for this, uh, this meeting. Well, just make sure you're not in a bad spot. Um, you don't want the, you don't want the Capitol police coming and pulling a gun on you and, you know, dragging you out of your yeah, car yeah. or anything I'm, like that. I'm, I'm, uh, out of their jurisdiction at the moment. Okay. <laughs> That's always a good idea. Well, we have much that we want to get into today. First of all, I know you're about to do some things that you can't give us details yet, but at the end of this segment, I want you to just tell us what you can about that. But a couple of really big things going on. One of them you're immersed in and have been for a couple of years in a roundabout way. As it stems from January 6th, and we begin to have, I guess, the uh, layers of uh, purposeful um, distraction has been pulled away from our eyes. We found out that we really live in a police state and the cops in our police state are our very own FBI. The weaponization of the FBI against American citizens, I guess a lot of people just finally woke up and realized it's real. It's been real for a long time and it's been hidden from us. But you're seeing it, you're right in the middle of it when you're in the D.C. area. You're seeing it play out probably on different levels than us. What is really going on, in your opinion? What are they up to? Well, Dan, as most of your listeners know, after all of these months that we've been doing this Tuesday morning uh, show together, is that much of my work obviously has been related to January 6th, but that has dovetailed into quite a bit of interaction with the Department of Justice and specifically with the FBI. Uh, As a result of that, I have been, uh, in the last several months, been able to develop. Well, we lost Steve-O. Are you there, buddy? Hang on just a second. Are you there, Steve? As well as uh, Kyle Serafin, who was the first of the whistleblowers to come out uh, directly related to January 6th issues. And as more of these guys are coming forward and as we're hearing from committee testimonies that we're learning uh, not not just related to January 6th, but we're learning so much more about what the F has become. It's not that they have and this is a thing for American grasp 
because we we always had such a high respect for the FBI. We you know we watched the the, the Untouchables with uh, you know Elliot Ness uh, you know leading that group, and then we watched the '60s. Uh, FBI television series with Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. and we we always believed in those guys, but unfortunately they have always had a dark side in that they have spent much of their uh, effort over the decades involved in unconstitutional activities, particularly when it relates to how they have. Uh, penetrated individuals' per, uh, personal lives and their records, uh, Fourth Amendment violations by not allowing Americans to be secure in their papers uh, as they launch investigations into people without warrants, uh, things of that nature has been going on for a long time. But but here recently, we have become much much more aware of how they have in fact been weaponized by the Department of Justice specifically to go after those who have an exercise speech, uh, exercise their uh, grievances against governments, whether that's local or federal, uh, to uh, make their voices heard and they are attacking those individuals by launching investigations and re arresting people in in manners that are just way way over the top and we we're seeing this in in the January 6th cases where misdemeanor arrests are executed by SWAT teams uh, we're talking about misdemeanor charges against uh, but you know suspects are, are ex executed by SWAT teams and their 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 homes are invaded at six o'clock in the morning the the homeowner opens their front door standing in their underwear and all of a sudden the red dots are on their chest and they're told to get down on the ground and then they are taken in and then and then released uh, the same day because it's just a misdemeanor arrest and this is one of the reasons so many of these FBI agents have been refusing to follow those orders is because this has never happened before and they're they're actually concerned and rightfully so that sooner or later they're 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 putting themselves and those officers at risk those agents at risk and the accompanying officers from local law enforcement who accompany these FBI agents on these risks because eventually somebody's going to start shooting we don't want that to happen but it's it's just going to happen and they're saying they're they're these guys are testifying before the before congress and saying look these are individuals who have already been contacted their attorneys have been contacted their attorneys have said yes just let us know when my client needs to come in and we'll get processed by the US marshal uh, at the local sheriff's office and um, and it's it'll it'll be a voluntary uh, cooperative um, uh, process and yet for some reason they're showing up at the door and and uh, you know fully armed with automatic weapons and and taking these people into custody in that manner and then and then we can just we can we can go from there and we can see what they've done in terms of arresting individuals that are protesting at abortion clinics and we can see the weaponization of the department of justice by threatening parents who are testifying at their local school boards and calling them domestic terrorists and right-wing extremists and things of that nature it all comes down dan to our speech and this is the biggest problem that I have and it's why I have been making very very aggressive moves 
to get in contact with the congressmen who are leading these committees that are overseeing this. This is the Judiciary Committee. This is the House uh, Oversight Pri uh, Committee. This is the Weaponization Committee. And, um, and that's part of the reason why I'm in D.C. right now. I had Roger Stone on this show about a year and a half ago, not long after his debacle. Pretty much what you just, just, just described, he had been in contact as attorney with the DOJ. You know, whenever y'all get ready to do anything, just let us know. We'll meet you at the courthouse early one morning. I mean, 4 o'clock in the morning, banging on the front door, helicopters circling overhead. CNN was notified of all networks and was there to show the bang-bang, getting Roger Stone, putting him face down on the ground, as you said, the red dots on his chest, he and his wife, and he was 70-something years old, not in good health, and it was strictly yeah. for show. Now, he got in trouble, and I don't know all, the, I don't even remember all the details, but it really doesn't matter. It was weaponization of the biggest, formerly greatest law enforcement investigative operation in the world, the FBI, and all yeah. of a sudden we realized the FBI is weaponized against the people of the United States. The government, the political side of the government, is using the FBI as their tool to go out and instill fear among the population. And I got to be honest with you, two agencies in the government have always been the toughest for Americans to deal with because they were so big, so powerful, and so sinister, the IRS and the FBI. The difference there is, for most of my life that I can remember, we always honored the FBI. We considered it a great vocation. I, I lived down the street when I was growing up in Lafayette, Louisiana, a guy was one of my best friends, his dad was an FBI agent in Lafayette, Louisiana. And we always thought it was so cool. He was a G-man. And yeah. then we find out now that they have weaponized themselves against us. But the scary thing is, Steve, we don't know how bad it is. We don't know how deep it runs. And we don't know what of our civil liberties they've already taken away from us that we don't even know we don't own them anymore. Let me tell you how deep it runs. Uh, several uh, weeks ago, Rand Paul was speaking before one of the committees, and he said that the FBI needed to have the top 10% of its leadership decapitated and replaced because of the politicization of that agency. I actually, on the same day, or the next day, rather, I actually interviewed uh, the whistleblower, uh, former FBI agent Steve Friend, on my podcast, and I mentioned to him what Rand Paul had said the day before in that committee hearing, and I said, what do you think about that 10% decapitation idea that Rand, uh, Senator Rand Paul uh, promoted? And Steve Friend said, I think you need to add a zero to that. Uh, which was, you know, not not a uh, a tongue-in-cheek thing. He was dead serious. And then in my discussions with uh, uh, also the other FBI whistleblower, Kyle Serafin, I mentioned to him, or I actually asked him the question, 
how many of the good guys, how many of the white hats are still in the agency? Because I had heard circulated that after 9-11, as you know, there were a lot of Americans, a lot of patriots who joined the military. There were also a lot of really good guys that were concerned about the um, Islamic terrorism threat here in the United States. And a lot of guys joined the um, uh, the FBI, and you know, went went and either got got their degrees in law enforcement at their local tech colleges or their universities, and then they went to FBI um, uh, uh, training school, got their uh, agents, uh, became agents, and then went into the service with really good intentions uh, in terms of actually defending our country against these enemies, foreign in this case. And so that was 9-11, so that was 22 years ago, or 20, you know, 21 and a half years ago now. And I said, uh, I said, Kyle, a lot of these guys are coming up for retirement now. And I've heard that a lot of these guys are within a year, two years or so of their, of their retirement and that they're hanging on to, uh, to earn their pensions and then that they're going to come out and they're going to start speaking about the uh, corruption and the weaponization of the FBI. And Kyle Serafin said to me, he said, and this is exactly, uh, and this, this is a critical point. He said, if these guys wait two years, they're not going to have a country for their children to retire into, or for them to retire into and for their children to live in. And that was a powerful statement because what he was saying is, is these guys have unfortunately become a part of that part of that culture, which began. I hate to say it really changed with the um, the, the Patriot, the so-called Patriot Act, which of course was during the Bush administration. The culture began to change then and became become much more weaponized uh, in terms of uh, looking directly at Americans. And as I've talked about these warrantless activities, they do in, in looking at individual Americans, uh, daily lives, activities, their banking records, uh, uh, such as that. But uh, more importantly, and this is the, this is the scary part is Mr. Uh, former president Barack Obama, in 2008, on one of his campaign stunt speeches, he said that we needed a national police force as large and well-funded as the U.S. military. Now, he said that as part of his campaign promise. Now, obviously, not by law and not by any particular executive order or any legislation did he start that process during his eight years of presidency. And, of course, as many of us uh, believe that this is his third term under the Biden administration, is what ended up happening is through the appointment process at the very top of the FBI and these other federal, federal agencies, they began the process of putting people in place who were ideologically and politically aligned with that agenda to begin the process of uh, slowly, clan in a clandestine way, under the cover of darkness, behind uh, bureaucratic uh, moves, starting the process of putting that idea in place. And now we see that they are trying to have allocated millions, I mean a gigantic sum of, of uh, 
money, which I don't have the exact figure in front of me right now, to build their new headquarters. This is the FBI headquarters in Maryland, just outside of D.C., which will dwarf the size of the Pentagon. An FBI headquarters larger than the Pentagon. Can you imagine what that means and what that represents? That means that Obama has successfully put into place all of the mechanisms, all of the plans are coming to fruition to initiate this agency or this federal law enforcement agency as large and as well-funded as the United States military. I know you're really close with Jim Jordan's folks and you're going to be meeting with them on a plethora of different things. But Jim Jordan... We're going to hear from him a little bit later in the show this morning about that thing you just mentioned, about that big buttload full of money they're begging Congress to give them to build that new facility. And he says in the soundbite, our people are going to hear, there's no way. We're not going to allocate that to them, especially finding out what they've been doing. Let me take you back a bit. People forget the fact that the first Bush president, Bush 41, H.W., He was the former head of the CIA. He went into, professionally, before he was president, he went into that particular field, and he knew it really well. And very surreptitiously during his administration, he only lasted one term, but in the middle of it, he began to implement in that part of the government on his watch the infrastructure to build that I guess mentality, that structure, at least the emotional mental side of it, so that people in law enforcement would begin to think on that level. And it was tied back to, it was the fear that everybody felt from communism. Nikita Khrushchev, when he was leading the Soviet Union and they had begun to take over the world, that was a generation, I guess my parents and your parents, at the end of their... um, I guess, younger years when they went into middle ages, everybody was afraid of Russia and the Soviet Union. And so Bush 41 and his minions, they decided to take that fear and use it to begin to institute what you just talked about Obama saying we needed to have, but it was already underway on a small scale at least under Bush 41. There's no good ending if we go down that road for the American people. There will be for the bureaucracy because they'll take control of everything. It's not like they don't have control of most of it now anyway. But when you can begin to attack the citizenry and take away their basic fundamental rights that are guaranteed to the citizens under especially the first 10 amendments to the Constitution, our Bill of Rights, When government can take those away and the people don't push back, I mean, that's the beginning stages of totalitarianism. We've seen it played out all around the globe. Well, it's absolutely correct. And as a matter of fact, you know, one of the biggest fears and most explicit warnings that our founders gave us was that against a standing army. Now, we think of that as an army. 
and not a police agency. But that is exactly what Obama envisioned and started the process of initiating during his administration was essentially the equivalent of a standing army. And if you don't think that they are a standing army, just look at what they just see what they look like and look at the the, the uh, equipment they use when they show up at your door in the morning at 6 o'clock. Look at the vehicles that they are driving and look around the rest of the country and see the funding that is being given to local law enforcement agencies from the federal government so that they can buy armored vehicles and now robotic equipment and things of that nature. These are high-tech, military-grade uh, instruments, weapons, vehicles, and training, and then these local law enforcement agencies are becoming addicted to those federal funds, and if they don't operate, behave, and take actions locally in the manner that is prescribed to them by the federal government, then they lose their critical, as they think, critical funding as a result of that. So this is this is not just the FBI, but this is this is a cancer that is metastasizing throughout the uh, the law enforcement agencies throughout the country. And that, you know, that unfortunately, that's not just your local police, state police, but unfortunately, it's affecting many of the sheriff's departments as well. And as we've talked about before, the sheriffs, by and large, are, you know, for the most part, there are our last, you know, line of defense against the federal government because they have so much autonomy uh, when it comes to local enforcement. They are actually constitutionally allowed to push back, and there are sheriffs and uh, attorneys general around the country that are pushed that are pushing back and saying, "No, we will not enforce some of these regulations. We will not take actions." And one of my uh, one of my ideas that I keep floating, and I, I've written about this several times, is that if we are going to see a legitimate reform of the FBI itself, one of the things that has to happen is apart from the fact of that decapitation notion that uh, Senator Rand Paul talked about, because the leadership has to be replaced, and then and then it's got to it's got to be that that cancer's got to be dug out deep because it's it's entered the country's lymph nodes as well. But one of the things that I believe that has to happen is we 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 benefit from a federal investigative agency because nobody can quite uh, meet the funding and the expertise of that that comes with that funding of a federally funded investigative agency. The actual idea of the FBI being a law enforcement agency needs to be stripped away from them. That needs to go and um, it needs to be a situation where when the FBI makes uh, a recommendation or, the, or they, they have found evidence of a crime, be it against an individual or a group, then that needs to be turned over to local law enforcement. And then local law enforcement can make the decision about how they want to either make the arrest or to press the charges. And that needs to be a, a, a local matter and it does not need to be coming from the feds. And hey, look, we can, I can give you a perfect example of what happened there. And that was in Waco, uh, Texas with the, uh, the Koresh situation had the federal agencies that were involved in that followed the local sheriff's recommendation. They would have arrested 
David Koresh at local coffee shop or donut shop instead of surrounding the the uh, the compound there and then two months later murdering 80 people, including, you know, uh, a couple of dozen children. It's amazing how we have watched the weaponization of our government just take off. And I, I guess basically we think it just happened. It's been happening over a period of time. There's one thing I want to get to before we, we're going to take a break and then come back on the backside of that break. And I want to talk to you about Tim Scott, who formally announced as president yesterday. One thing I want to mention about Barack Obama, I don't know if you heard that interview. I forget who it was with last week. And he was asked what thing bothers him or concerns him most about what's going on in the nation today. And he thought about it pensively for a moment or two. And then he came back and said, a divided media, a divided media. And then I waited to listen to him explain it. Now, this, according to him, is the thing that concerns him the most, is that everybody isn't thinking the same way. And it's because of the media that there's so much divisiveness. Of course, he didn't talk about the truth. He didn't talk about the pontification that happened under him on his eight years at the helm up there where he legitimized and had his Department of Justice under former Attorney General Eric Holder spying on Americans, monitoring phone calls without having warrants, which is against the law, and even was threatening conservative journalists in fact, I forget the name of the gentleman that was with Fox News for so long, almost destroyed his life. That doesn't bother him. The thing that right. bothered him was, is everybody refuses to just sit down and shut up and let the Democrat Party leftist narrative be what runs the world. And we all just benignly sit down and shut up and let the left do whatever they want to do. That's the normalization of that particular mindset, and we're in it. I mean, we're literally watching it play out under this Democrat administration. That's exactly it, and it is absolutely a, an abomination if you want to look just at the Bill of Rights alone, what they're doing. I, I think I saw, I read an article just yesterday or the day before where the FBI has initiated some over 750,000 warrantless searches of Americans' personal records. And this is uh, the fact that they're able to even justify, get by with that, and defend it in such a manner as they are is just mind-boggling to me, Dan, uh, that, that they don't understand that we have laws against that, against yeah. that very thing, and yeah. they're doing it with impunity. Well, we have a new candidate on the Republican side running for president, Senator Tim Scott. I have a lot of great things to say about the senator. And a little bit later, we're going to hear from the ladies at The View about their opinions of Tim Scott throwing his hat in the ring. I'm going to get the thoughts of our specialist, our journalist, Steve Baker, right after this break at TNN Live. When you're fed up with the nagging heartburn of today's lies, how do you spell relief? TNN, the Truth News Network. 
Car's all yours. Thanks. Cars.com's expert reviews made it easy, but... Shouldn't there be more back and forth? You missed the drama, right? Yeah. Maybe this will do the trick. Oh, it's a puppy. Not a puppy. A wolf. What now? He's a wolf. And that is its incredibly protective mother. Put the wolf down. You guys good? Okay. Yeah, we're good. Yep. Okay. Get the right car without all the drama. Cars.com. All drive. No drama. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. In a world where truth is in short supply, you have an abundance of it right here. TNN, the Truth News Network. Every Tuesday, Steve Baker, our photojournalist, investigative journalist, spends a lot of time in D.C. He joins us every Tuesday. If you tuned in a little bit later than normal, because of his schedule and something that he's got going on in just a little bit, in fact, within the hour, we had to move it up. And if you miss this with him, you can always come back a little bit later in the day and get the entire interview with Steve. He always brings us good stuff, and uh, he's kind of our our guy. That's who we call him. He's our guy in Washington, D.C. Steve, I know you're watching, as every American is, what's going on in the upcoming 2024 presidential election. Joe Biden's in. Marianne Williamson's in. Who else is in on that side? I can't even remember. Who RFK Jr. Yeah. RFK Jr. Okay. Yeah. So they've begun to come out and uh, are lining up to take on Joe Biden. I don't see at this particular point any way anybody else on the Democrat side is going to have a prayer because the Democrat Party is not going to support anybody but the incumbent. And after all, they have their guy up there and he's a puppet and he does the right stuff, what they tell him to do, except every once in a while. He opens his mouth when he's not supposed to. So, on the other side, there are quite a few Republicans that are coming out and are running for the nomination. And one yesterday announced we were waiting. And sure enough, South Carolina U.S. Senator Tim Scott threw his hat in the ring yesterday. You and I haven't talked about Tim. I have a lot of respect for him, and I have for a long time. Not because of his skin color. Not because of his position. But just because of the total package that he exhibits, this is the American dream. Somebody that is different from a different background, different ethnicity, different kinds of opportunities, had a really tough beginning in his life, and he made the best of it. And he, because of freedom and justice and equal opportunity for all that are promised to us in the Declaration of Independence in our Constitution— He was able to pick himself up, get a great education, and become the first African-American U.S. senator. That's a Republican, by the way. It's a really big deal. I've got my thoughts about what Tim Scott's intentions are. First of all, I will say this. I believe he wants to be president of the United States. There's no question in my mind about that. But that, I think, is a long-term objective. 
We can hypothesize about the near term, etc. But I want to know what your thoughts are about the whole situation about this Republican field, so far at least, and how Tim Scott fits into that. Well, obviously, I'm very interested in Tim Scott for a couple of reasons. I, I live in the neighboring state to South Carolina, uh, in just north of him. And so uh, just by proximity, I've been able to keep up and watch uh, what he does, what he says. And let, let's just let's start off with the positives. Uh, you've, you've mentioned some of those already. Uh, he obviously is a very likable guy. Uh, a lot of analysts believe that he is not really going to peel votes away from uh, Trump, but that he's actually going to take percentage, more percentages away from uh, uh, DeSantis. Uh, and of course, DeSantis has not announced yet something. Some believe that he's going to announce tomorrow. And um, they think that he's going to hurt his chances the most. And then, of course, there's always the idea, as you said, when you're looking at short-term versus long-term objectives, sometimes these younger guys and gals, because uh, we have to in, in include uh, the, the gals in the field as well, is that they are positioning themselves more for a potential uh, appointment or nomination to be the vice presidential running mate for whoever wins the top of the ticket. And then, then they can look to the future as to whether or not they will, uh, uh, then run for president. I would, I would suspect that Tim Scott is probably smart enough to know and believe that he's not going to either, um, knock Trump out of his lead position or, even uh, DeSantis, that he won't rise to the to the double-digit numbers that he has. But, again, as a very solid, very likable, uh, very competent uh, black American, he would be a strong second choice uh, for, the, um, for the, the vice presidential uh, position on anybody's ticket. Now, that's all the positives there. But let me, let me throw a negative out that most people do not know. And that is, and this is a phrase I always like to use, uh, show me, don't tell me. Yeah. Uh, Tim Scott's very well spoken. And when you hear any speech of his, you get the impression that he is solid 100% all the way aligned with Republican and Liberty oriented ideals. His voting record unfortunately, is weak compared to so many others. He, uh, just by the conservative review alone, and I haven't looked at very many of the other ranking agencies and think tanks that do this, but he only has a 77% conservative voting record. And you may think, okay, well, 77% is a decent score. Well, you know, that's a solid C, Dan. That's not a B minus or a B plus, certainly not an A. 75 77 is a C ranking. By comparison, Senator Ron Paul is like 98%. I mean, he is an A-plus guy. And then it, it, it falls off from Rand pretty, uh, you know, <laughs> precipitously after that. Obviously, Mike Lee is strong and in the 90s. And then there are uh, Ron Johnson is strong and in, in the 90s. And then you start getting down into the Ted Cruz's who are in like 88%. 
But when you get down to that 77% level, you have to start looking at why is uh, Tim Scott voting for a lot of progressive bills that are out there? Is he voting because the name of the bill sounds good and he's not paying attention to what is buried in those other 2,500 or 4,000 pages of that bill? So it's very concerning. And, of course, he comes from a state that is – solidly regarded as a red state. South Carolina just about can't get any more red than it is. But look at their senior uh, uh, senator there. That guy is has a 50% voting record. That guy has an F in terms of his conserving conservative voting record. I'm talking about Lindsey Graham. So, uh, yeah, he's better than Lindsey. Lindsey speaks highly of him. And um, when it when it comes to me and it, as it relates to any of these candidates, it's a show me, don't tell me thing. I don't care what they say. I look at their voting records. And it's one of the reasons why I had a hard time supporting Trump in 2016 and did not, in fact, because he had been demonstrably on at least three sides of every single issue. You name an issue, I can show you in his history and in his uh, speech and his rhetoric, because he never had a legislative record. He never uh, never held office a political office of any kind, so he never voted on any bill. He never held an executive uh, position as a mayor or a governor, and so he never signed any bills into law. So we had nothing to go on except what he had said. So by the time we got to uh, November of 2016, I had I had Trump scored at a zero, but then after four years in office, I had Trump at about a 50-50 rating on my own personal, you know, liberty uh, scoring uh, scale, and and so I did I did endorse and vote for him in 2020 because the prospect of a Biden administration was too uh, horrific to be imagined, and of course that's proven itself to be accurate. So when I look at these guys, I and especially a guy that now has a voting record, we have to we have to take a solid look at that itself. And when I see him as compared to uh, Trump, I like him better than Trump. When I see him compared to a DeSantis, I don't like him as well. And that is purely based on the, their uh, legislative and uh, executive records. Tim Scott has more campaign dollars at this point than any other candidate in history, a war chest to begin a campaign. That means a lot of people out there really think he's the guy and want him to be the guy. I'm I'm of this ilk, and I felt this from the very beginning. I knew he was going to jump in. At some point, I felt like either he or DeSantis whichever one came in first would be the person that would be eventually chosen to be the bottom of whatever ticket is. If it's Trump, yeah, I can't imagine who else it would be at this particular point. But I saw Ron DeSantis, and you and I talked about this. I think we did on the air a couple of times. The perfect ticket would be Trump with DeSantis running as president, vice president. Trump serves one more term, his final that he could serve, and then he helps prop DeSantis up. DeSantis then wins the presidency four years later, 
And then after a good record during that four-year period, he gets four more years. That would be 12 years of conservatives. I like that concept, and I think that would be very far-sighted, great planning for the Republican Party if they could put that together. But here's a problem. Conservatives don't have this unifying spirit like Democrats do. I mean, Democrats, when they decide they're all going to get together and go for something, that's one thing they always do. They stay in line. Republicans, getting them to get along with each other, each other it's like herding cats. I mean, you can't herd cats. You can't get Republicans all in the same place at the same time to agree, even on the fundamental things. There are right. so many issues out there on the conservative side that just remain like a bunch of cats running around. There's no leadership. So I think this is going to be a very, very critical election cycle. I think we're going to see a bunch of changes between now and even next August, July, August, when everything begins to mesh out of who's going to be doing what and who's going to have the support. I think politically between now and then, we're going to have a bunch of landmines that are going to explode, most of which we can't even contemplate would be possible at this particular point. But I want you to remember, think back at the previous elections at this point in the cycle, how many people that were leading in polls at this point in previous elections ended up being the ones that were the banner bearers for their parties when it came election time? None, none. Hillary Clinton, she was at the top of the heap. Obama, he was at the bottom of the heap. Joe Biden at the bottom of the heap. Donald Trump, of all people. I mean, just one after another, even in the Bush years, same things happen there. People watch, but they don't start looking and examining until we get in deeper into the election cycle and we begin to see and hear these candidates on the campaign trail, which we know Look at what happened in 2020. Joe Biden's going to campaign from the basement in Delaware again. They've already announced they're not going to debate anybody. They don't have to. He's their pawn. He's going to do what the party wants him to do. Whoever it is, it's calling the shots. And I, I, I've said this publicly, and I believe it to this day. Valerie Jarrett is the one that's pulling the strings for Joe Biden, whatever he does. And they just have to slap him around every once in a while and get him to quit thinking for himself and just toe the company line. I think the Democrats are going to stay united behind Biden as long as they can keep him propped up, almost like Bernie. Remember Bernie's weekend. Bernie died. Nobody knew that he died, but those two guys propped him up. Weekend at Bernie's, all weekend long. Nobody knew he was dead. Maybe that's that's what we're looking at here but the American people, I, I believe, honestly think the eyes are opening. Scales are coming off the eyes, and they realize this is not about just the White House. This is about the whole of government that's going down the tubes very, very quickly. And if the American people don't take government back, if we don't kick the police state arbiters out of whatever positions they're in now, we are going to be, in very short order, an authoritarian-controlled nation. 
And it may not ever be possible to claw our, our, our way back, my opinion. Well, if I, if I take a step back here in this conversation and put my purely political hat on for a moment, let me give you a couple of other scenarios that are happening. I saw a poll yesterday that showed um, RFK Jr., trailing Biden by only one percentage point, 37% to 36%. As you know, Biden's uh, uh, approval ratings are at an all-time low, and he is being questioned. And I, I've, I've never believed myself that the Democrats were going to ultimately allow him to uh, run for another term. I still, uh, I still believe that, but, you know, as a very uh, as a very pliable puppet, uh, he's certainly somebody that they would want to have there because whoever are pulling those strings, whether it's Valley, Valerie Jarrett uh, on behalf of Obama, uh, and then Obama's strings are being pulled by the uh, WEF and uh, BlackRock and and the, the 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 New World Order, Great Reset, whatever you want to call them, um, I I can see that they would they would continue to inject him with his. Um, uh, B12 shots every day and and his amphetamines when they send him up to a, a podium uh, to read from the <laughs> the teleprompter I can see that that could happen but I think that I think that RFK's insertion into their their um, uh, primary is going to be a very very interesting thing to watch and then uh, even though RFK uh, Jr. yesterday said that he has no plan B if he doesn't receive the uh, Democratic nomination, that I would I would very much like to see him launch a third party for very selfish reasons because that would split the Democratic ticket and and uh, make it an easier way for whoever is on the GOP uh, top of their ticket to uh, win the presidency. But that's again that's just uh, political fantasies right now. But on the other hand, uh, back to the uh, GOP side, I, I have long been an advocate of one of these guys who is trailing, let's say, tr you know, a, a DeSantis trailing significantly behind Trump right now in the, the GOP polling is to actually form an alliance with someone like a Tim Scott early on and say whichever one of us are leading uh, in the polls and in the primaries in the final days, we're just announcing, pre-announcing that, that that individual will be at the top of the ticket and the other will be my vice pre presidential nomination. Because I will tell you, a DeSantis top of the ticket, Tim Scott vice presidential um, uh, add to that would be a very, very attractive and very formidable uh, opponent announcing in advance against the uh, the Trump campaign. And, and Trump, you know, look, for by by anybody's measure right now, he's he's got this thing locked up. If you're talking about the the loyalty that he has from such a large percentage of the GOP grassroots but he's showing some real weakness that may affect him early on in the primary and, the, and especially the first in early primary states, the most significant of which is this uh, statement he made criticizing DeSantis and the six, per, you know, the six week abortion um, rule in Florida. And, and that was a huge mistake that could affect um, 
uh, Trump tremendously, especially in Iowa. And then, of course, now, you know, with with Scott on the ticket in South Carolina, South Carolina is not going to go for that uh, abortion weakness either. So this really puts Trump in a, 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 a you know, a, a critical position, not to mention the fact that he still has the, um, you know, the Operation Warp Speed uh, bragging that he's doing as far as the the virus uh, or the uh, uh, the vaccines are concerned, because there's probably I would say between 15 to 25 percent of his base are not going to forgive him for that unless he does the mea culpa. So I don't think that I don't think that these early primaries are as locked in for Trump as a lot of people think they are. Here's what I think, and we're gonna we're gonna move on from this. You've got to get you've got to get to that interview. I'm really anxious at whatever point you can share that interview or parts of it with us. I'm looking forward to that. But it is very early to even start speculating at this particular point. I will say this: Trump this morning came out in very very positive fashion about Tim Scott. Very, very positive, which I thought was classy. If he had done or said anything other than that, he would have been, of course, that race card would be everywhere. Even people from The View, which our people are going to hear from after uh, you go and do your interview, you're going to hear from Whoopi, just excoriate (laughs) Tim Scott. I have no idea what those people are thinking. But Donald Trump is in the driver's seat, and I think chiefly for one reason and one reason only. He has a record, a legislative accomplishment record, like nobody since Ronald Reagan. Now, on the the warp speed thing, there is a very easy way to justify what happened. He was told, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, tag-teamed him in the very beginning of the pandemic, and they told him, you've got to get off the stage. You've got to let medical experts guide the nation in this. You can't do it yourself. You have no knowledge. And he listened to him, and he let them push Anthony Fauci out there. Fauci is the straw man for the problems that happen in warps, uh, warp speed. And That's just going to be a fact that the American people understand. Trump did what he was told to do. Leaders don't always have to know everything. Good leaders, when they don't know everything, they know how to go get people that are experts in those fields, and they prop them up, give them the resources they need, and let them go out and lead, and if they make mistakes, let them hang themselves, which is exactly what Fauci has done. Let me just say this, buddy. I, I really respect you giving us this 55 minutes. I know you're under the gun. you got a lot of important things going on. I haven't said this publicly to you in a long time, but I really thank you for coming on these Tuesday shows. Our audience is learning a lot from us. That uh, particular slot, every time you come on, is one of our biggest listen to our largest audiences, and it's because people are hungry. People want to hear facts, and they want to hear facts with perspective. And you and I don't agree on everything. Most things we do, at least to some degree. But when they hear us giving our different opinions, I guarantee you there's lots of head nodding going on out there or head shaking going on out there. They're not getting that. They're not getting those opportunities 
from other people out there doing shows like this. And I want to thank you for not just coming on originally, but staying in there with us. And we've got a long way to go, Steve Baker. So be yes, cautious. We do. Be cautious up there. There are a lot of people that don't like what you're doing. Just saying. I I, I am Dan, and and I will tell you, and I really want to I want to reach out to your listeners in a way that I haven't before. You know, thoughts and prayers are, are are necessary. I have two stories right now, and this is what I told one of uh, Representative Jim Jordan's staffers yesterday. I told him that I have two stories right now that I cannot write, I cannot present to the American public without um, their protection. Uh, I gave them just enough information to probably get myself whacked, but <laughs> I, 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 I say that a bit tongue in cheek. Please, but the, yeah. the the point the point being is is that is that I need congressional um, uh, approval. I need uh, their protection in order to tell these stories because they're directly related to that buried and hidden evidence related to January six. They it is evidence that I have already seen with my own eyes and it's going to hit hard and you think people are not happy with me right now. They're going to be very unhappy when this information hits the streets, but I can't tell the story without their assistance. So we, we need that to happen. And, um, and the other side of that coin is, is I need your, I need your listeners to go to my locals page where of course I publish my stories and uh, sign up there. They can subscribe for free. Uh, but, Obviously, if they can help us in the process of funding the, the work, one of these stories is in, in and of itself is going to cost me about $25,000 just to put the story together because I've got to have legal covering over that. And, it's, and that's what, you know, a lot of that's going to be tied up in legal costs. Some of that's going to be tied up in uh, production costs because when, when we present the story, it's going to be by video. And so if they would go to my locals page and it's, uh, very simple to find. All I've got to go to is TPC4, the number four, USA.com. TPC4USA.com. Uh, they can do it from their uh, phone apps or they can do it on uh, the uh, on their browser, on their computer, either way. And uh, sign up for free to follow my, my, my uh, process there. Or if they can become a supporting member and help us support uh, through this process, uh, it's as little as five dollars a month. That's that's the the bottom rate to uh, to get access to not only everything that I do, including exclusive stuff that I put out almost every day that nobody else sees except my supporting members. And then um, they can help us fund this process to get these stories out there. We will continue to beat that drum for you, and we support you in every possible way. I will suggest. You, those of you that are listening right now do this. I just looked while S Steve was talking. We have a bunch of people that are listening in that are in Ohio. Reach out to Congressman Jim Jordan. Call his office. He knows who Steve Baker is. They got face-to-face -face a few weeks ago right here in Shreveport, Louisiana at a fundraiser. And Steve was here. He got a few minutes with Congressman Jordan. He also got a few minutes with Congressman Johnson from here in Northwest Louisiana. Call Jim Jordan. Call him. If you're especially listening right now and you're from Ohio, tell him, get behind this guy, this uh, analyst, this journalist that is doing this investigative report and give him whatever cover he needs 
so that he can continue to do the work and not be fearful of getting nailed just because he's uh, outside of the protection of uh, our government leaders. Steve, thank you so much, man. Are you going to call me back even offline at some point and tell me about this interview you're about to do? I, I know you're uh, uh, drooling right now for this info, <laughs> so I guess I'll, I'll make that commitment to you. <laughs> All right, buddy. Be careful. Have a great trip, and we'll talk soon. You got it. Thanks, Dan. Wow, Steve Baker. What a champion. He's one of my heroes, and I appreciate him so much sharing this wisdom with you guys every week. When we come back after this break, Whoopi Goldberg joins us. This is going to change your life. Whoopi's up next at TNN Live. Ladies, we ask your forgiveness. Please forgive our immaturity, our outbursts of tacky compliments. Forgive our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes. For insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist. And please, forgive us for never washing our hands. Ever! Schneider! The beer with the exact maturity of the man who's in the process. Hey, what do you want to da da da? I don't know. What do y'all think we should da da da? Well, what did we da yesterday? Hmm, yesterday. All the dolls feel like the same doll these dolls. I know. Like, is today Monday or Tuesday? Today is Thursday. Oh no, I forgot to call my mom on her birthday. Oh no! No! These days, nothing is normal and everything is weird. But you could still save big when you switch to Progressive. That won't change. Not to da or any da. Quote to da at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. So you guys grew up together? Yes, yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I wasn't mean, not looking at it. We're not good enough for you. You look for something else? No, I just, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Oh, Jesus. Supermodels. What are you model? Gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Brad, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. Separating fact from fiction. Arming you with the ammunition of liberty. The truth on TNN. Truthnewsnet.org. In this thing that we do here, TNN Live, production of Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org, we have a lot of moving parts all the time. And sometimes there are so many moving parts that we kind of lose the ability to to focus and just hone in on the things that are really important. And I must be honest, when we start talking about presidential races, which they come up every four years, Those are really important to the American people. And it's critical for all of us to get on the right page about understanding, maybe not being in full agreement on everything, but understanding what and who are our choices and being committed to make the right decisions based on the right choices. 
So in the analysis of presidential campaigns and candidates and who's qualified, who's not, who says this, who does this, we have to put it all out there and kind of point people to specifics, things that are said, things that are done, maybe things that should have been said but weren't. All of those things, when you put it all together, it makes a tapestry. And that's what we want to get to, especially in the run-up to the 2024 presidential race. Tim Scott, as you just heard, threw his hat in the ring yesterday. And I was curious to know what those ladies, and I don't even know if I'm supposed to say ladies, because who knows what pronoun to use now when we talk about people. But Whoopi Goldberg is one of the most vile human beings I've ever seen on television. And she's almost bulletproof. It's like she can say anything, allege anything, and nobody ever holds her accountable. At least ABC doesn't, who produces that show, The View. But I was very interested to hear what she and her fellow View members would say about African-American U.S. Senator, yeah, he's a Republican, yeah, he's a conservative, Tim Scott. Maybe you've wondered too. Well, wonder no more. Republican Senator Tim Scott mm-hmm. has thrown his hat into the rink. He, I guess, put out a, a clip, an ad, mm-hmm. which I guess we're going to see right now, right? Yeah. Today's kids are growing up immersed in a culture where everyone's a victim. We have to start teaching the necessity of individual responsibility. If you are able-bodied, you work. If you take out a loan, you pay it back. If you commit a violent crime, you go to jail. Can I get an amen? (laughs) You know, Tim, we should show this ad to your party. Especially if you're going to talk about personal responsibility. I mean, you know, all of the... Talk about a victim. I won the election. I won, I won, I won, I won. Come on now. This might have been a little much this year, you know? So I've always loved Tim Scott. I mm-hmm. knew a bit when he was in the House. He uh, was the first black Republican senator in the Senate, which I think is is great. I love that this is a contrast to Donald Trump. I just worry. I don't know if the party's ready for it. What Tim Scott brings is a traditional conservative that stands for something other than just grievance. He's somebody who wants to reach across the aisle when there's an opportunity to do that. He did that with the First Step Act and has made getting wrongly, not even wrongfully, but I'd say getting people out of prison who have been over-sentenced and trying to rehabilitate them and get them back into society. <clears throat> and my favorite is Opportunity Zones, which he's been big on economic investment in underserved communities, which I believe in this country, the dignity of work in a career in a profession is the biggest equalizer. And it's a thing that kind of lets you create your American dream. I'm hoping that there's a juxtaposition here to Trump that resonates with people. I don't know, but Tim Scott's someone I could support. I'm excited he's in the race. I got to tell you, I'm also happy he's in the race because I think there is such a dearth of uh, melanin in the Republican Party and also of optimism and unity, right? So um, when you, you know, the, the bar is low, right? So when, when you've got there is Donald Trump who, and Ron DeSantis, who's also going to announce this week, and they're both full of grievances and 
piss and vinegar. One is spreading conspiracy theories and lies and calling himself the retribution. The other one is manufacturing culture wars against everything and everyone to the point where the NAACP actually issued a travel advisory against going to Florida. The, the formal travel notice states, Florida is openly hostile toward African Americans, people of color, and LGBTQ individuals. Before traveling to Florida, please understand that the state of Florida devalues and marginalizes the contributions of and the challenges faced by African Americans. So I think it, I really welcome somebody that speaks like Tim Scott, looks like Tim Scott, has lived the life of Tim Scott to be on that stage with a different message, even if I disagree vehemently. Yeah. At least he's not a jerk or a madman. That's where my bar is. <laughs> well, yeah. And when seeing that he threw uh, his hat in there, I was also noticing that for the uh, Republican Party, who, who is very rarely diverse, you've got the uh, Vivek Ramswamy, an Indian-American man of Hindu faith, an Indian-American woman, woman, Nikki Haley. You've got two black men, um, I think Larry and Elder. An orange guy. And well, <laughs> like I said, representation matters, Anna. Um, but I think the thing that is unique about Tim Scott is we talked at one point about how could evangelicals support a Donald Trump, and they did. When you put them in the same pool and you take a real evangelical man, uh, whether you agree with him or not, he could take that vote that really was a big chunk of what Donald Trump got. So I think anytime you're adding kind of a distinct lane that's not Donald Trump, Again, the bar is low. I'm all for it. I think it, it could uh, be good. Well, let me be the curmudgeon, I guess. Um, I, I don't know who his message is supposed to resonate with, actually. Um, he's talking about victimhood and personal responsibility as if um, people aren't taking responsibility for their own actions. Um, and, and it just seems to me that the Republican Party has a real racism problem. I mean, and those aren't my words. Those are the words of Michael Steele. Uh, in 2018, he was asked as a Repub and the former RNC chairperson that was the first black person to hold that position. And he said, there's a real problem with racism within the Republican Party. And he should know. Um, and, and so it, it seems to me that, you know, at this point, Tim Scott is, is only polling at 1.8%. Donald Trump is still the front runner at 56.3%. And I do want, oh, people are surprised at that. But yes, and Ron, Ron DeSantis is at 19.4%. And so it just, it just seems to me that this is, you know, and black, black people make up 2% of registered Republicans. Um, so it's a very tiny fraction. I don't know that the overwhelming base would vote for someone like, like Tim Scott. I, you know, I, I think it's really important. If he had come out and he had said, you know what? Here's what has been happening, and here's how I'm going to change it. Yeah. Instead, for me, he came out and did that dog whistle. Mm -hmm. There we go. Whoopi Goldberg. She's the one that came up with the term. Now, put in context what you just heard from the group, the ladies of The View. Every one of them came up with slams, allegations, name-calling. Why, at this particular point, how in the world could Whoopi Goldberg, or anybody on The View for that matter, talk about what Tim Scott is going to do, what he's going to say, what he's going to promote. He hasn't been operating as the president of the United States, nor as a candidate, until yesterday. 
the first time ever. And yet you just heard an entire political analysis by four different women, and every one of them gave their opinions, and that's okay. But opinions are just that and nothing more. They're opinions, thoughts, ideas, things that people think. And this is the United States of America. We all, we each have the right to think what we want to think about anything and about anybody and to express our opinions no matter who our opinions may offend. But those women you just heard, think about what you just heard them do. They diminished, demeaned anybody that doesn't think like they think. It's as if they know more about Republicans and why Republicans and other conservatives say what they say, feel what they feel, think what they they think. And they just, their fundamental perspective when they even start talking about it is to diminish anybody that's a conservative. They, like Hillary, put every conservative in a basket and they just push them out, put them over on the side and ignore any substance that may be there. You know what's interesting? I think back, and I don't spend much time watching The View. When I, Whenever I hear one of them or any of them say anything very controversial, I'll go take a listen to hear what they say. But I don't have any part of The View in my regular watching or digesting appetite. I don't. And I'm not going to go down that road. And I, I'm not one that thinks that there are a lot of people in the United States that uh, espouse the way those women from The View operate. They're self-appointed. They're grandiose, at least in their own minds. They think they are knowledgeable and they understand the American people and especially politics. And what do they do all day, every day? They either sit on a stage in New York City and they pontificate about their opinions and they make, and we want everybody to understand, when we say this, even though these are our opinions, they're factual. And if you don't agree with us, you're a racist, you're a xenophobe, you're a homophobe. They come up with every kind of example and label to label you if you think differently from them. And that's okay for them to do. But don't you dare, if you're a conservative, don't question, ho, 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 uh-uh, you got to toe the company line. You got to stay away from any kind of criticism that anybody that's different-minded than you are, you can't go down that road if you do. You're a racist, a sexist, a homophobe, a xenophobe. They make everybody fit into their little niche, and if you don't want to fit in it, that's too bad. They'll kick you to the curb and diminish you and take away any credibility that you can. That's the world that we're listening to. And it's sad, but many, many people out there, they just don't get it. This whole conversation that we're having, and you just heard that part of it. And then Steve Baker, when he was with us a little bit ago, and we were talking about Tim Scott, we all have our opinions and we should, you know why we need to be basing our choices for voting on facts rather than just Whoopi Goldberg's opinion. 
We're talking about at least four years of a president. We're thinking about the possibility, and maybe at this point even the probability, of having four more years of Joe Biden. I don't think our nation can handle it. I think we'll implode in many, many areas, many different times, in many different ways, and they're all going to be bad, every one of them. I can't see any positive thing coming out of another four years of Joe Biden. On the other hand, now let me just throw this out there. I've expressed my opinion about Ron DeSantis. He's done a really good job as the governor of Florida, no question about it. He, when he was in Congress, he made some bad policy decisions supporting some things that were not conservative at all. And he attacked things like Social Security and Medicare and talked about it. He didn't do anything, but he floated these up there as trials. And with good intentions, we have a problem with the sustainability of Social Security and Medicare. Nobody can credibly say that's not something that's important and something very dangerous that we as Americans are facing. But what good does it do a panel of women on ABC? They're on every day and all they do is gripe about everything and everybody that disagrees with them and about anything. And the way that they handle their conversations about it is always from this perspective. You disagree with me? You're worthless. You're stupid. You don't know what you're talking about. You need to sit down and shut up. I'm on the view. We are experts at everything. And if you don't think we are, just listen. Listen to what we tell you to do, and then just go sit down and shut up. That's what we're facing right now. We are so far away from picking a Republican to run for president. I think it's virtuous that we have so many options out there already. I don't ever remember a Republican Party ticket this far in advance or even closer to the election of having such a diverse field for the American people to look at and use as a comparison to come up with the person that they feel is best suited to take on whoever the Democrat candidate's going to be in 2024. I don't ever remember anybody. We, we have a, a, a Buddhist, Ramaswamy. You have Nikki Haley, who's an Indian. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. But nevertheless, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There are diverse candidates already announced by conservatives. On the other side, you've got RFK Jr. and Marianne Williamson. That's it. And then Joe Biden. If I was a Democrat right now, I would feel pretty strongly about we might just be in trouble. And I think they are. I think everything the American people have lived through under Joe Biden, especially the last six to nine months when we've watched our southern border just explode and we have five, six, seven, eight, ten million extra illegals here, the fact that any government official would think it's okay 
to just open the border in total abandonment of every federal immigration law. These are the people that swore oaths to protect us and protect us by enforcing all the duly passed laws. And they're every day thumbing their noses at it. How could anybody credibly vote for a Democrat in the wake of what we are watching play out at the hands of Democrats? And they've normalized it. If you don't enforce laws, if you don't enforce your borders, you don't have a country. What you have is a big blog of land and it's free for all. Anybody, everybody do whatever you want to do. That's okay because we've got big hearts. We're the American people. Now we talked about Jim Jordan and uh, yes, Steve Baker is now working with Jim Jordan's people on the weaponization of the FBI against the American people. He's doing that. I'm not sure the details. He'll be able to share those with us when he's able to share those with us. But Jim Jordan is at the epicenter of some really nasty stuff. And he recognizes our government's got to get a hold on this. Jordan talked about it yesterday. In the end, money always gets people's attention. And so what we're going to have to do is say, hey, FBI, you can't use federal tax dollars. You can't use the American tax dollars for this kind of activity. we got to limit how they spend the money, maybe even limit the money. Here's a great example. They want millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars in their construction budget for a new facility. No way. No way should we approve that. And that was House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan with me yesterday on Sunday Morning Futures discussing how Republicans can use the appropriations process to rein in the FBI. Jordan released a report last week detailing allegations from whistleblowers of politicization and bias in the FBI. Uh, three whistleblowers said that they testified to Congress uh, saying that they were victims of retaliation. Victims of retaliation. We are going to hear nonstop between here and 2024. We're going to hear horror story after horror story about the victimization by the FBI of everyday American citizens. It's been going on for years. People are intimidated. They're told if you talk about this, it's going to go really bad for you. The FBI, with impunity, have decided to take on the American people. Forget about laws. Forget about regulations. Forget about lawlessness. If the FBI wants to come after you, they want to investigate you, they'll do anything they feel is necessary with impunity because who's going to hold them accountable? You know the FBI is part of the Department of Justice. Have you seen this Department of Justice do anything at all, to hold its own department members accountable for wrongdoing? Have you seen or heard any of that? Have you heard FBI Director Christopher Wray in testimony before Congress ever act apologetic about any of the wrongdoing that happens on his watch? No. He sits there and he looks in the faces of these senators and these representatives and doesn't laugh out loud but you can see he can't stand these people. You can see it in his eyes. 
He's always feeling and acting like he's got to be defensive. And he should be because these things, illegal things, are happening on his watch with his permission. And in many cases, he's the one that's instigating it and acting very innocent all the way through. You heard Steve Baker talk about what should happen talking to this Steve Friend, former FBI agent, now whistleblower, and what he had to say about getting the FBI in line. And we don't have a couple of years. According to Steve Friend, he said, we just don't have that much time. The American people have got to take government back. There's no telling what's going to happen in the next year or two for us and how it's going to impact upcoming generations of Americans because we are living today, regardless of what you think, we're living in a police state. And it's being done purposeful. It started way back in the Clinton years in the White House. And it's just gotten a little stronger, a little more powerful day after day after day. And I don't see it getting better anytime soon. But we're not going to panic. We've got some good news. We really do. I'm going to share some of that good news with you after this break. The new Amazon Echo has everyone asking Alexa for help. Alexa, what time is it? What the hell is wrong with this blasted thing? Amanda! But the latest technology isn't always easy to use for people of a certain age. These kids have bought me a busted machine again. That's why Amazon partnered with AARP to present the new Amazon Echo Silver, the only smart speaker device designed specifically to be used by the greatest generation. It's super loud and responds to any name even remotely close to Alexa, so they can find out the weather. Allegra, what is the weather outside? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Huh? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Where? Outside. What about it? The temperature outside is 74 degrees and sunny. I don't know about that. The latest in sports. Clarissa, how many did old Satchel strike out last night? Satchel Paige died in 1982. How many he get? Satchel Paige is dead. He what now? Died. Who did? Satchel Paige. Oh. I don't know about that. Even local news and pop culture. Anita, what them boys up to across the street? They are just playing. They what now? They are just playing. You say they just playing now? Yes, they are just playing. I don't know about that. Compare it to smart devices like your thermostat. Alessandra, turn the heat up. The room is already 100 degrees. Are you trying to kill me, Alize? The new Amazon Echo Silver plays all the music they loved when they were young. Angela, play black jazz. Playing, uh... It also has a quick scan feature to help them find things. Emilia, where did I put the phone? 
The phone is in your right hand. And it has an uh-huh feature for long rambling stories. So then I gave him five dollars, and he said I only gave him one dollar. Uh-huh. I said I know I gave you a five. Uh-huh. Because I only had a five and a one on me. Uh-huh. And this is the one dollar right here. Uh-huh. So I mean, you tell me who's crazy. Amazon Echo Silver. Get yours today. I said get yours today. To order Amazon Echo Silver, send a check or money order to Amazon.com right now. those of you that listen every Tuesday to hear our conversation that happens in our second hour every Tuesday with Steve Baker, Steve has an interview that he's undertaking right now and he couldn't change that time. So late yesterday he called and asked if we could get together the first hour today, which we did. And if you missed that first hour, if you missed what Steve had to say, some very very good, very important information that you need to get. Within 15 minutes after the show is over, you'll be able to go to the homepage of truthnewsnet.org and there will be a story that pops up, TNN Live. We will post today's interview with with Steve. Actually, our entire show will be posted, but it's in the, the first hour. So if you want to hear the full interview with Steve today, Just go there, click on it. You can download and listen to it as you'd like. Of course, anytime after our shows are over, you can grab any of our shows that we've ever done at any one of your favorite podcast hosting sites. There are 27 different ones of them out there that carry TNN Live after the fact. So you never need to miss anything, and we don't want you to miss anything. And we're so appreciative that you made us part of your family. Now, I told you going into the break, we had some good news. I had to really look hard (laughs) to find this one. But the Democrat Party's enthusiasm for new immigrants, new immigrants, and we know what that's doing. It's causing the flood of millions across our southern border. But what's happening, the Democrat Party's enthusiasm, and they're continuing to push their African-American supporters They're actually pushing their African-American supporters out the back door. This is according to a Democrat African-American legislator in the Georgia House. Every election year, I hear, Black Lives Matter. That's State Representative Misha Maynard, who's a Democrat. She said that in a tweet outlining her displeasure. But do that, she asked. I see every other minority being prioritized except black children living in poverty that can't even read. We'll send a million dollars to the border for immigrant services, but black communities, not even a shout out. I'm sorry, she said. I don't agree with this. I'm not backing down. I'm actually just getting started. Her name is Maynor, M-A-I-N-O-R. Maynard's her last name. Remember that name. She's in Georgia's house. Her comments echo a growing concern among blacks around the nation that their interests are being subordinated to the establishment's preference for migrants. Have you thought about this? 
You know that every migrant that comes across our southern border, most of them are Hispanic, but there are migrants coming from 170 different countries, and they're coming across our southern border. Almost every one of those people want to work. They want a job, at least the adults in the crowd. So if they come here and they get in illegally, And at some point, they're made to be legal, which that's the intention of the Democrat left, is to get every illegal immigrant, get them legal in some form or fashion, but eventually to get them the right to vote so that they can permanently make a Democrat party be the majority party in the United States. That's what it's all about. Maynard's comments They echo a growing concern among black Americans that their interests are being taken away by these illegal migrants coming across our southern border. Example, Chicago. Blacks have organized in Chicago to oppose their loss of power to immigrant voters and to the placement of migrants in their neighborhood south of central Chicago. Wait a minute. Isn't that racism? Isn't that xenophobe? No. You know what it is? It's American life today. In Washington, D.C., where blacks comprise half of the population, council members there are complaining about the growing cost of aiding the poor migrants. Many comments and polls show that many blacks oppose large-scale migration, even as they also support government aid to migrants and Latinos. There are no easy answers in this quagmire of illegal immigration that we're in the middle of now. There's just no good answer for it all. Maynard's comments got a friendly response from Americans who are worried about the establishment's stealthy inflow of millions of poor migrants. I'm surprised to hear any state-level politician speaking up for Americans over illegals, especially if it's coming from a Democrat. That's D.A. King, a pro-American activist. King founded the Dustin Inman Society to oppose illegal migration into the state. And he continued, he said, I hope there are a lot of Republican legislators looking at that part of her statement because they need to speak up as well. Here in Georgia, he said, most of the state-level politicians, including our governor, governor, don't speak up against illegal immigration because they're afraid of the retribution from the special interests that are led by the Georgia Chamber of Commerce. The retribution for any politician under the Gold Dome here in Georgia is delivered in the form of, we will find someone to run against you in your next primary if you don't do what we have ordered you to do. Among Democrats, the secret's kind of been out there for a long time. Illegal aliens are here because they're seen by Democrats as potential Democrat voters. And we have only to look at California and Gwinnett County, Georgia, to see what the outcome is. More than 10% of residents in Georgia are international migrants. More than half of the migrants are illegals, and they're helping to grow the Democrat Party, and that flatten wages 
and spikes housing prices. For example, housing prices in Georgia are up 50% since 2020. Some Republicans, like Senator J.D. Vance, Republican of Ohio, are connecting the dots between migration and housing. Vance tweeted this, Letting in too many people drives up housing costs for normal Americans. Stop Biden's border crisis. Stop his war on home availability. A lot of people don't realize, don't even think of it. These people come in, they got to have a place to live. I mean, the federal government can't permanently pay for them to have places to live. To do that, get a place to live, they got to get a job. Now, in large part, the jobs that are available are going to be taken from people, almost always migrants. Many of those migrants are legal migrants or people that have gotten green cards to live and work here legally. And these big agricultural companies, especially out in the Southwest and the West, they're looking for a way to maximize their bottom lines. That means if they can cut expenses, including staffing, well, they'll just go down that road, put off people, fire them, kick them to the curb that are working there now that are doing so by living here legally and bringing in and paying illegals that they can pay under the table with cash, not doing it legally, but they're doing it in every chance they can get to so they don't have to pay matching Social Security and Medicare for those employees. It's sad. But wait a minute, you know, migrants, that's a Democrat thing. We support these people. Well, you got a bunch of people here that many of were migrants. They came here legally. They went through the plan, the program, to do it the right way. And now the people that you are pushing and allowing to come in are taking jobs and the livelihood away from these people. Somebody's got to pay the price. Wow. Isn't it interesting that it's really, really difficult now on almost every topic to get to a pure black and white choice? It's very difficult to get there. There's so much gray out there. There are so many moving pieces in a conversation about anything to do with immigration, especially handling our southern border migration debacle that is basically eating away at the foundation of the United States in every area, social, economic, governmental, education, health care, because Joe Biden is flooding the nation with illegals and pushing those illegals on the American taxpayers. And by the way, doing so with no legal authority to do it. In fact, he's violating dozens of federal laws. Joe Biden's got to be held accountable for his actions, just like you and I got to be held accountable for ours. Just because you're the president of the United States should not mean you get a free pass on anything just because of the title you bear. We still have a debt limit crisis that's pending. 
It's looming over us, we're told in some cases, maybe just a week away. I don't understand why Joe Biden won't sit down and have a serious conversation with Kevin McCarthy, House Speaker, to get this thing resolved. Honestly, I think Joe's proud of himself, maybe thinking he's playing a chess game against McCarthy. McCarthy hadn't been in Congress nearly as long as Joe was, and Joe considers himself to be a legislative phenom. Oh, I've been doing this my whole life. 50 years I did it. I know all the tricks, the curveballs, the fastballs. We're going to be okay. Peter Ducey, yesterday, before they came back from that G7 summit, Ducey got to ask President Biden a question, which is unusual in live press meetings nowadays. Ducey asked the president about what's going on regarding a stalemate on getting the debt debacle finished. Listen to what Biden had to say. Mr. President, on the debt limit, you said already, I've done, I've done my part. Do you think that if there is a breach, nobody is going to blame you? On the merits, based on what I've offered, I would be blameless. On the politics of it, no one will be blameless. And by the way, that's one of the, that's one of the things that some are, are contemplating. He went on to say, MAGA Republicans want the nation to default, so Biden loses in 2024. Anyway, it it really is a game of political chicken. The goalposts keep moving. Biden is now asking, and I laughed when I heard this, he's asking Kevin McCarthy to bend his red line of no tax increases. Uh, is, Is Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans going to agree to more tax increases? And they're still very apart on spending levels. So here we are. The clock is ticking. We're within 10 days now, and it takes just about that amount of time to actually get the deal on paper. So we're within 10 days now on a potential debt limit default, not paying the interest on bonds, U.S. Treasury bonds. That's the biggie. And of course, that is a huge thing. If if we don't get something worked out, it's going to create mass pandemonium in the economy of the United States. There's no way around it. It's going to happen. Let's push on. Daily Caller co-founder, who would that be? Daily Caller. Did you know that Tucker Carlson was a co-founder of Daily Caller? He sure was. Yesterday, Tucker retweeted a post from Monday featuring a statement from author Chadwick Moore. Moore claimed to know why Fox decided to part ways with its top-ranked anchor. That would be, of course, Tucker Carlson. Moore spent the last year writing the definitive biography of Tucker Carlson, which is based on more than 100 hours of interviews and a whole bunch of thorough research. The book is set to be released in mid-July. But Moore felt the need to share some of the info he uncovered well ahead of the official release date. This is interesting. Listen to what he said. I was working closely with Tucker when he was taken off the air by Fox. And as some of you know, I was also a regular on a show, and I happened to be a guest on the final episode of the show, which was on April 21st. This is more talking. I've also seen the monologue that Tucker planned to deliver on Monday, April 24th, before his show was abruptly taken off the air. Moore claimed 
that the monologue was focused on the events of January 6th and particularly Ray Epps. Epps is the only person captured on video that was inciting people to violence at the Capitol that day and allegedly an FBI informant who has never been arrested or even charged. That's according to Moore. Epps has denied that he was acting under orders from the FBI or any other federal agency. We may never know the truth. Moore went on to reiterate claims that Carlson's firing was part of the Dominion voting system settlement with Fox. Dominion, they've denied these claims. But Moore says his sources state otherwise. They have assured me, even before this news leaked, that is in the fact it's truthful. If that is true, it would mean that a small group of people who have a controlling interest in Dominion have managed to silence what is arguably the most important and influential conservative voice in the country, possibly until after the next presidential election, Moore noted. By the way, Moore's book, it's simply titled Tucker, is set for release on July 18th. Let me apologize again. You can hear what's happening to my voice. This is all part of that trip to Africa (laughs) in the aftermath of getting back. And I apologize. If you can bear with me, we've got another few very important things I want to tell you about. And I mentioned when I was talking with Steve Baker about former President Trump and what he had to say on Monday. He welcomed Senator Tim Scott to the 2024 Republican presidential primary, using Scott's move as a means to target Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Trump said good luck to Senator Tim Scott in entering the Republican presidential primary race. He wrote that Trump did on the Truth Social Moments after Scott's announcement on Monday. It's rapidly loading up with lots of people, and Tim is a big step up from DeSantis, he said. Trump, he was not critical of Scott. He added that he and Scott worked together to come up with the Opportunity Zone program, an idea that was included in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. Scott has remained largely uncritical of Trump over the past several years, though he said on different occasions the former president should have apologized for what he described as racist statements. During his speech yesterday, Scott didn't mention Trump or any other declared or undeclared 2024 candidates. Instead, he tried to paint himself as an optimist who could get things done and criticize Joe Biden and his agenda. Scott said, I'm the candidate the far left fears the most. He's talking to supporters in his home state of South Carolina yesterday. When I cut your taxes, they call me a prop. When I refunded the police... They call me a token. When I push back on President Biden, they even call me the N-word. I disrupt their narrative. I threaten their control. The truth of my life disproves their lies. He went on to say this about Biden. This administration has taxed, borrowed, and spent trillions of dollars trying to replace a hand up with handouts. 
All they bought us was crushing inflation that has devastated families like mine. Scott seems to have the support of several top donors. That's according to a bunch of different reports, as well as members of the Republican Senate leadership. Senator John Thune, Republican from uh, South Dakota, the number two Republican in the upper chamber, appeared at Scott's event, delivered a statement that our country is ready to be inspired again. When he was appointed to the Senate back in 2013 by then-Governor Nikki Haley, Tim Scott became the first black senator from the South since just after the Civil War. Winning a 2014 special election to serve out the remainder of his term made him the first black candidate to win a statewide race in South Carolina in more than a century. He's long said his current term, which runs through 2029, would be his last. Scott has also routinely repudiated the teaching of critical race theory, a quasi-Marxist academic framework that presents the idea that the nation's institutions need to be purged of white people. Today I'm living proof that America is a land of opportunity, not a land of oppression, he said. A source of strength for Scott will be his campaign bank account. He enters the race with more cash on hand than any other presidential candidate in U.S. history, $22 million left in his campaign account at the end of his 2022 campaign that he can transfer to his presidential coffers. Scott also won re-election in firmly Republican South Carolina, which has an early slot on the Republican presidential primary calendar by more than 20 points less than six months ago. His advisors are betting that will make Scott a serious contender for an early momentum-generating win, they told the Associated Press. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to spare you the pain and agony of listening to me for another 10 minutes. I want to thank Steve Baker, as always, for being faithful, being here on Tuesdays with us. He brings a a fresh, a different perspective about the important things that are going on in our government, and he answers a lot of questions. Thank you for being here, as always. And let me tell you this, you're special. You're important. We're so glad to have you. We're going to be back tomorrow. Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. And then, of course, you can pick up the show in podcast format anytime after that from your favorite podcast hosting site. So until tomorrow, just know this. The best is yet to come. Have a great day. We'll see you 9 a.m. tomorrow morning short at TNN Live. Lost and all alone I always thought that I could make it on my own But since you left I hardly make it through the day My tears get in the way And I need you back to stay I wandered through the night and searched the world to find.
Have it back. 